Have you ever met a street preacher? Some years ago when uh, Jim and Sue, Denny and Dina and Bonnie and I were in New York City doing some sightseeing, we saw some street preachers. You know how to recognize a street preacher? Exactly right. He's on the street. The answer is all too obvious, all right? Now, that's not the only thing that sets him apart, okay? They, some of them, not all of them, dress funny. Um, some wear clothes that are merely out of style. Others have created these special costumes for themselves with large crosses around their necks and either wearing a white robe or a, a, a black robe or whatever. We even saw one guy in nothing but his underwear. I'm not sure he was a street preacher, though. They also carry Bibles. Nothing wrong with that, but some of them have the biggest Bibles I've ever seen. Hand-tooled leather, all right, all kind of Christian symbols on them. I've never seen a street preacher actually read from the Bible, but they do use them effectively as props and kind of wave them in the faces of the people passing by to try to get their attention. Then there are their eyes. Most of them have a wild look in their eyes as if they can see something that other people can't see. Their message is also distinctive. Repent, turn or burn, change, common themes of their preaching. The message is almost always delivered at the top of their voices, perhaps to drown out the noise of passing traffic, but more likely to impress their listeners with the importance of their subject. Now, if you think I'm making fun of them, think again. I'm not. I do find their gospel usually much one-sided and their knowledge of the Bible somewhat limited from what I've been able to hear, but I admire them for speaking up when few people will. And it could be argued that they do more harm than good allowing their hearers to dismiss all Christians as being fanatics. But on the other hand, I wonder if the church couldn't use a few more fanatics. I don't know who said it. It was said long ago. (laughs) I'd rather try to restrain a fanatic than resurrect a corpse. We sometimes feel uncomfortable around such committed Christians, maybe because We lack their boldness, their courage, or their commitment. But I say all that to bring us back to John the Baptist this morning. We talked about him last week. I wonder what people thought about him. Now, he didn't preach on the street. He was out in the desert. He certainly dressed strangely, a camel's hair robe, girt about with a leather belt. And it wouldn't have looked as strange to the people that time as what it seems to us. He even ate strangely with locusts and wild honey. His message was the distinctive message of a prophet of that time, repent or face the judgment of God. But regardless of what the people thought, John, John the Baptist knew what he was about. He knew who had called him. He knew what he had been called to. He knew he had a job to do. He was there to prepare the way for the Lord. But when the Lord came, when the Messiah came, I think even John the Baptist was a little bit surprised at how he came. John the Baptist was to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
According to the 40th chapter of Isaiah, he was to smooth over the rough spots and make an easy path, an open highway for him, so people would be prepared to hear him. But instead of going to the streets where the people was, people were, was, were, were, yeah. I heard myself after I said it, all right, yeah. Instead of going where the people were, he went out into the wilderness preaching repentance and baptism. And the crowds came to him, flocked to him, and, and he baptized so many people they nicknamed him the baptizer or the Baptist. And as much as he was admired, he made it clear that all of his work was preliminary. He was not the main show. The one coming after him was the main one. He was just the opening act. And he couldn't wait to get the spotlight off of himself and onto the Messiah. And then it finally happened. The Messiah came. Jesus came to him. And when John saw him coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was overjoyed. Because now at last, the light could be shown on the Messiah. He could lay his burden down. And notice how Luke mentions this ever so briefly the day Jesus came to John. In Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, two short verses. Luke says, it came about when all the people were baptized, that Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, Jesus was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So Jesus, the Messiah, comes to John. And he makes a strange request. He wanted John to baptize him. Now Luke doesn't give us all the information that the other gospel writers do. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 14... It tells us John didn't want to, that John resisted. Basically, no way, Lord, you've got this wrong. Like I told the crowd, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals or to carry them. How can I baptize you? I need you to baptize me. Can't you just hear John saying that? Just, just resisting and not wanting to baptize the Messiah, thinking, Lord, you've got this all wrong. My baptism is for sinners. It's a baptism for repentance. You don't have any sin. You don't need to repent. I do, so you baptize me. That'll make more sense. But Jesus said to him, according to Matthew's account, permitted at this time, for in this way... It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So finally and reluctantly, John consented. He took Jesus, he plunged him beneath the water of the Jordan River. He brought him back up and suddenly all heaven broke loose. The Spirit descended a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And probably from John's perspective, this made no sense at all. For the Messiah to be baptized, Jesus had no sins to confess. 
He had nothing to repent of, no reason to be baptized. And if John had the thinking of most Jewish people, the Messiah wasn't supposed to come this way. Many of the Jews thought the Messiah would suddenly appear on top of the temple even. He would come with power and with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But this Messiah came in humility. Not baptizing, but being baptized. Not identifying himself as the Messiah, but coming like an ordinary person. Coming like an ordinary sinner to be baptized although he wasn't. Maybe this is one reason why later on John will send messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we look for someone else? Jesus didn't come like John expected. He came almost like a sinner even though he wasn't. He came to be baptized. And yet in this humble act of baptism, Jesus is recognized as the Christ, as the Son of God, recognized by the only one that mattered, by his heavenly Father. Drenched with water, his hair matted to his head, he must have looked like every other sinner that had come to be baptized. But no, the heavens open, the Spirit comes, the voice speaks, and this is the beloved Son of God. Now for us, the story of Jesus' baptism, I think, is so familiar that we're not shocked like John was. But as you think about it, it does make little sense for Jesus to be baptized. John called for repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent of. John baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Again, Jesus had no sins to forgive. So why was Jesus baptized? To set an example, and that's part of it, Mark Moore in his book, The Chronological Life of Christ, says, number one, John's baptism was God-ordained, so Jesus demonstrates submission to God's authority. God sent John to baptize, and Jesus was submitting to the authority of God that he had placed in John to do that. Secondly, this was the divinely appointed method by which Jesus would be revealed as the Son of God. As the voice said, this is my beloved Son. Absolutely. Thirdly, this was Jesus' inauguration day. His inauguration into ministry through which he fulfilled the law. So this is where his ministry began. Fourthly, Jesus gives us an example to follow, absolutely. And fifth, Mark Moore says, through his baptism, a new community of God's people is created, which would ultimately be known as Christians, followers of Jesus. Now, the only reason he gives to John is in Matthew's account of this event. And again, Jesus said, Permitted at this time, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, it, it's just the right thing to do? Well, yeah, it was the right thing to do, but I think it's more than that. 
Did Jesus mean, well, I have to do everything that the Father requires? Well, certainly that was true. Jesus did come to do the will of his Father. But I think maybe there's even more involved in this. To fulfill all righteousness. How was the righteousness of God ultimately fulfilled for us in the life of Jesus? Yeah, through his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection. Absolutely. That's how the righteousness of God was ultimately fulfilled for us. Through Jesus. It was on the cross. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right. So you see the steps of Jesus into the waters of baptism were his first steps towards the cross. His ministry began. The reason God sent him to come and to die for our sins in order to save us. He, folks, Jesus was not baptized for his own sins. In a way, he was baptized for ours. Just as he died on the cross for our sins. Years before, Isaiah the prophet had spoken of the suffering servant of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, he said, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So the prophet Isaiah says, He was numbered with the transgressors. And God made him, Paul said, to be sin, a sin offering for us. Well, when did that happen? When was he numbered with the transgressors? Well, certainly while he was on the cross because he was hung between two thieves. But when was the first time Jesus was numbered with the transgressors? When was the first time that he identified with sinners? When was the first time that he did what only sinners do? He was baptized. Gary Holloway, in his book entitled The Unexpected Jesus, says, and I quote, In Jesus' mind, baptism was always linked with the cross. He himself saw his baptism as a step towards death. James and John asked to sit on his right and left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus had long before been baptized with water. Now he looked towards the baptism of the cross. Later, he says, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. End quote. Baptism and death. They always go together. Jesus saves us by his death on the cross, but that death is prefigured in his baptism. He died for us. He was baptized for us. Our sins drove him to the baptismal water just as they cost him his own life on the cross. His baptism was his first steps towards Calvary. See, folks, Jesus is one of us, not with his own sins, but ours. He comes to John to bring in the righteousness of God, 
And in doing so, he gives us an example to follow. But that seems so long ago, so far removed from our own experience, we didn't go out to a prophet in the desert. We were baptized in church buildings or maybe in a pond on a family farm with friends and family near. We didn't see the heavens open and a dove descend. We didn't hear the Father's voice. Or did we? On Pentecost, didn't Peter command his listeners to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Were not all the early Christians baptized in the name of Jesus? Weren't you? What does it mean to be baptized in Jesus' name? Is that just a ceremonial pronouncement made at baptism when someone says, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, it's certainly a pronouncement, but it's a lot more than that, folks. To be baptized in His name is to be forgiven by His authority. The authority of the one that became sin for us. It's the power of the cross. It's the power in the blood. And what's more, to be baptized in His name means we are baptized with Him. With Him. Paul tells the Romans they had died to sin in baptism. And then notice what he says in Romans 6, verses 3-5. through Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might live a new life. If we've been united with Him in His death by our baptism, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. We were baptized with Him. And to be baptized in the name of Jesus is to be baptized with Him. What happened to Him happened to us. In baptism, the righteousness that He came to fulfill became our righteousness. In baptism, the cross that He came to bear becomes our cross. There, we determine to cling to that cross alone for the forgiveness of sins. There, we find life everlasting. There also, in baptism, we obey the call to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Jesus is baptized. We are baptized with Him. What happened to Him happens to us. You remember your baptism? I do. And even if those memories aren't too clear, I can tell you what happened to you because I know what happened to Jesus. When you were baptized, the heavens opened. You might not have seen it with the naked eye, but they were opened and innumerable blessings came down on you. And if you could have seen into heaven at that point, you would have seen the angels standing up and rejoicing. When you were baptized, the Spirit descended. You might not have seen a dove, but the Spirit came nevertheless. The Spirit that is promised to all who repent and are baptized. The Spirit that brings new life. When you were baptized, a voice from heaven spoke. No ear may have heard it, but you probably heard it in your heart. The voice that said to you, just as it said to Jesus, 
you're my child, and I am well pleased. Were our baptisms exactly like Jesus' baptism? No. No more than our crosses are exactly like his cross. But we were baptized with him as certainly as we died with him. And that baptism continues to this day. I was a freshman in high school at Sumner when I was baptized in February 1973. And I'll never forget how I felt immediately afterward. I had an overwhelming sense of being clean, of being right with God and others. My heart was singing. and Maybe you have the same memories and maybe you wonder why you don't feel that way now. If only we could be baptized again and again and again to know and to feel that cleanness before God. But there's no need for that. Baptism is once for all. It's a permanent cleansing. I think we might understand that a little better if we change the way that we talk about baptism. Someone might ask the question, have you been baptized? And the reply is, yes, I've been baptized. I wonder if it wouldn't be better if we changed our language on baptism to make it more like our language on another permanent commitment, marriage. You ask me, are you married? And I reply, yes, I have been married. Now what kind of impression would that, would that give to you? You would think one of two things, probably. He's either been divorced or he's, he's widowed. His wife died, right? The truth is, I have been married. Now, it's been a long time since my wedding, and my memories might be a little bit hazy regarding that day. Bonnie can tell you things down to the minute and the second, pretty much, I think. But I assure you, I have been married by a preacher and before witnesses. So my answer, I have been married, is therefore true. True, but misleading. It's not just that I've been through a marriage ceremony, but more importantly, folks, I am married. Happily so for almost 42 years. Those vows I made nearly 42 years ago changed my identity. I am now Bonnie's husband. She's my wife. Two became one. Those vows brought me into a new family. Folks, it's the same way with baptism. It's true that we who are Christians have been baptized. True, but misleading. It makes it sound as if baptism was some ritual in our past that has little meaning for us now. Wouldn't it be better if we said, I am baptized. Baptized with Jesus. In his name, into his death, united with his resurrection, a baptism that's once and for all. There we made our vows to cling to him alone. We become united with him. We came into a new family forever. Even if it means that we're going to go to the cross with him. And we will. And not even death can sever those vows. You see, Jesus was the ultimate embodiment of righteousness. And as such, he purposely identified with the righteous actions of those who would be baptized as they sought to come into a right relationship with God. 
He left us an example to follow, certainly. So, I'm through preaching. Come on up, players. The question of the day is this. Are you baptized? If not, why not? And if not, why not today? Why not today? Do you have questions about baptism? If so, take the next step and find the answers to the questions. And we are very happy to help you with that. We'll sit down, we'll open the scriptures together, we'll see what the Bible says about baptism. But take the next step. I don't know if that's your next step, to, to find answers to questions, or if you already believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you need to respond to that in baptism. Or if you've already done that, if you're looking for a place to call your home church, to find brothers and sisters in Christ you can serve together with, we'd love to have you here at New Hope. I don't know what your next step is. You do. The Lord does. And I pray His Holy Spirit would lead you to take that next step as we stand and sing.